you about not God's will, part two. I think if I get to that part of this scripture. But the verses that I'm hoping to get to this morning, the verses that I'm wanting to get to to, uh, to cover, I think answers one of the most controversial debates that go on in Christian circles. The debate has to do with election and free, free will. More specific, does God select some people to be saved and some people to be lost? Now, we're not going to get into that full doctrinal position this morning, but at some point this fall, we're going to. We're going to be talking about that, that doctrine in detail. We've done it years and years ago. We're going to do it again uh, here in the fall. But the question is, does God select some to be lost and some, some to be saved? Some say, no, he only chooses uh, those who are to be saved. He does not choose those who uh, are going to be lost. But if he elects some to be saved and not others, the bottom line, in, in essence, he is condemning some to eternal hell. Oh, no, no, God does not condemn anyone. Well, actually, if God can regenerate some, why not all? Why not all? Well, it's the elect he regenerates. Well, if it's, if, if it's God choosing, if it's God electing, why didn't God elect all? What love is this that God chooses some to be saved and there are those that say and he chooses by not choosing others, he's choosing those to be, uh, those to be lost. What we believe here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship is all men can be saved by believing that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. By believing the gospel, by believing that Christ finished work on Calvary's cross will cause them to be made new creations in Christ that all men can be saved. Any man can be saved. Any woman can be saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do have our study in the doctrine of election, uh, predestination, you know, we're going to be talking about the acronym TULIP because the Calvinists come up with this cute little acronym uh, TULIP. Uh, the T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. Uh, the L stands for limited atonement. And what we're going to be looking at this morning, I think just blows that right out of the, the window, out the door. The I stands for irresistible grace. So those that are elected, uh, when God saves them before he saves them, because basically that's what has to happen, makes no sense to me. But before that, has, before that happens, uh, and God moves on them, then whoever he moves on, they're going to respond. It's irresistible grace. And the P stands for the perseverance of the saints. So if, if the doctrine of election is true, and by the way, the scriptures do teach election. 
And we just have to make sure we define election. God elected to use a nation, Israel, to carry out his purpose and his work. Today, in this present dispensation of grace, God has elected to use the church, the body of Christ. And if you are in him, you are part of that elect body. But every place in the scripture, and we'll be getting into this more in detail, but every place in the scripture where it talks about being called, it has to do with service. Every place where it talks about election has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with service. It has to do with your work in Christ. But if the doctrine of election is true as the Calvinists see it and preach it, then God is requiring mankind to do what mankind can't do. What kind of grace is that? What kind of grace is that? So we're going to be getting into all of that. But before we get into that this morning, we have some other scriptures that I want us to, to look at before we get into that, that phase of today's sermon, which I think answers does God elect some to be saved and therefore condemn others to eternity without him? Or is it God's will that all men be saved? If the scripture says that it's God's will for all men to be saved, but we know that all men are not saved, but if it's God's will that all men be saved, that must, well, we'll get into that in just a second. Because if there's a scripture that says that, wow, that sort of just blows the Calvinist view right out the window, in my opinion. But first, Timothy. But first, first Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son after the faith. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might war a good warfare. And at that time, as Timothy was, was called to service, pastoring the church in Ephesus, there were prophecies there were teaching, there were things said about this young man that verified the fact that he was going to be in the ministry, that he was called, that God had an important role for this young man to play. As a matter of fact, it's interesting when you study uh, Paul's writings to the church in Corinth, he encourages Timothy not to let those in Corinth scare him. When he's talking about Titus, he writes to the church in Corinth and, and says, don't let Titus scare you. I think that is a clear indication of the two different personalities between Timothy and Titus. But both men were called. Both men had something committed unto them. Both men were to fight that good warfare that was going on during this time. Paul says, fight that good fight, that you might war that good warfare. 
uh, it's, Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Remember in Ephesians 6, verse 10. That's where we find, you know, uh, uh, finally, my brethren, uh, understand that you're in a spiritual warfare. My, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There in, 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 to the church in Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring, wanted to make sure they understood that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. He was making sure that, that young Timothy understood what he was up against in this spiritual warfare. And Timothy, you got to be strong. Timothy, remember those prophecies. Remember those things that, that were pronounced concerning you and how God was going to use you. You be strong. You trust God, Timothy. That you might war a good warfare. Paul goes on to tell him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he tells him, Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There were going to be difficulties. There were going to be trials. There were going to be temptations. There were going to be troubles. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted to make sure this message got to Timothy and then so many others that followed after that this is what to expect. Be of courage. Fight that good warfare. Be that good soldier. Endure hardness. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck or ruin. Isn't that interesting? There were some people in the body of Christ. There were some people who had been ministering. There were some people who had, had believed. But look what it says about them. They would pretty much jumped ship. Now, it doesn't say they had lost their salvation, but it says some of those don't be like those people, and Paul then has the audacity to name those people. You ever wonder what it would be like to have your name in the Bible? Well, I guarantee you I wouldn't want my name in the Bible like these next two characters. Of whom is uh, Amanius and Alexandra, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Herminius and Alexander? Paul's going to go on to say, Alexander has done me much harm. And Paul says, I deliver them unto Satan. I didn't know you could do that until I read that scripture. Not that I can't because I'm not an apostle. I don't have that authority. But at some point, Paul did. But don't worry. Even if I did, I wouldn't, I don't think I would use it against anybody here this morning. Now. But that's the scripture. We believe the scripture. Of whom is Hamanius and Alexander, 
who I have, I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Kind of gives you an idea of, of how serious blasphemy is. But what in the world had Hymenaeus done? Well, I, basically, I think he had, he, had, he had walked away from the grace message. That he was already teaching something that was, no, 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 don't teach that. And that was that the resurrection, the rapture, had already taken place. Teaching that terrible doctrine, Paul considered, that's blasphemy. You teach false doctrine, and Paul considered that reason enough to deliver that individual over to Satan. Now, we need to understand something. Satan is the God of this world. And all through the scripture, as you study the work of Satan, it is obvious that it is the God of this world that he's responsible for all of the uh, infliction and all of the terrible things that take place. It, it always Surprises me how people want to blame God for all the things that are taking place when Satan is the God of this world. He's the prince and power of the air. He's the one to blame. What did he do that was so bad? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. What verse is it? Oh well. It's there. Did I, what did I give you that verse, Tim? Let's start, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Well, let's look at Alexander first, and then we'll go to Hymenaeus, because I think he even did something that was more wretched. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Wouldn't you hate to be this guy? Alexander this coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his work. 2 Timothy 2. Ah, there you go. 2 Timothy 2. <clears throat> I knew that I hadn't dreamed it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 17. Well, let's start with verse 15, because we quote that verse a lot. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word, false teachers, those that teach false doctrine, their word will eat as doth a cancer, of whom is Hominius and Philetus. He was teaching false doctrine. There were things going on there, and Paul is warning Timothy, don't be like these guys. You want a little bit more information on what was that authority? Look at 1 Corinthians. I'm sure I got this one right. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 5. First Corinthians 5, verse 5. Now the story here is there was a guy that was having sexual relationships with his, it was either his mother or his stepmother. It was his father's wife. And that was a humongous no-no. He was in the church. He was a saved individual, according to this. And the church was going, well, that's okay. It's all right. We can tolerate that sin. We can tolerate what's going on here. I mean, if we really love this person, we'll tolerate this unbelievable, drastic sin. Come on, church, just turn your back on that sin here. Well, let him that's without sin cast the first stone. Is that what it says here? No, Paul reams this church in Corinth out because they didn't take a stand. And he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to point out what's going on here. And here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 5. When he gets there, one of the reasons he's coming, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now that is a serious doctrinal position and understanding we need to grasp. Satan is the one that inflicts that destruction. There are consequences to sin, and Paul was making sure that the church in Corinth knew, don't tolerate that nonsense, don't tolerate that sin, don't allow that sin in the name of tolerance. It might embarrass you in the world. The world might shake its head at you and go, oh, you don't believe that old Bible. Why, that's not modern, that's not appropriate, that's no longer acceptable. We don't believe that anymore. The definition of sin has changed, I'm sure. Is that our position here? See, I believe this. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved. You know, we talk about a sin unto death, and I think that's where that doctrine comes from. The sin unto death. In the day of the Lord Jesus, when he stands before Christ, he has been blood-bought, 
He has been placed in the body of Christ. He has been sealed there until the day of redemption. He is that new creation in Christ. But God says, I'm not going to tolerate this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's fire shall, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. There is a judgment. Every man is going to give an answer for the deeds done in this body. That means you. That means me. And knowing my sin, it makes me even more thankful for that precious blood that flowed off Calvary's cross. It makes me even more thankful for the faithfulness of Christ Jesus to die in my place. Serious, serious. And I think the reason we're in the mess that we're in today as a nation, as a people, is because the church has just gone silent on sin. Not calling it what it is. We'd rather embrace and listen, I'm all for embracing the sinner. I'm all for embracing that individual and loving them and letting know, let them know that God loves them. Amen? But we don't embrace the sin. We don't tolerate what God calls sin. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Chapter 2. I told you we'd get here. I exhort therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's God's instructions to us, church. I think Two reasons we have the problems we have today is number one, the church has just gotten to the point where we tolerate sin and actually we embrace sin. And the second is we don't pray the way we need to be praying. I've often wondered what would happen if I were to have a survey and we pass out a survey and, you know, and they're just asking, how often do you pray? Do you pray once a day, twice a day? Uh, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, only when you go to bed at night, and just you know, wouldn't want anybody to sign their name to it. Wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want you to, to to swear on. You know, this is what I do. I'd even have in there praying without ceasing. You know, because some of you do that. I know. But God's word says, "I exhort you." That word "exhort" is a is a serious word. Timothy, I exhort you, therefore, that first of all, supplications, supplication, that is um, 
special needs petition, taking it to the Lord, the supplication, crying out to God, Lord, you know, we've, we've got these issues. Lord, our brother Tom Tressel is sick. He's in the hospital. He's not doing well. Lord, heal him. Our brother Burl, our brother Jerry, all of the things that are going on in our church, Lord, we bring these prayer requests before you. Only you can touch their lives, Father. We lift them up in prayer. Those are the supplications. And prayers. What's the difference between public supplication and a prayer? Supplication is where you're pouring your heart out to God for something that you just, you can't carry that burden. You can't, you can't handle it. So, Lord, I'm bringing it to you. I'm putting it before the cross. Prayers have to do with devotion. It's telling God who you think he is. Acknowledging who he is. Prayers border on worship when you go before him. That's what he's telling Timothy to do. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. That's the will of God. You want, there, there are several things that God's word tells us is God's will. Uh, hey, one of them we're about to get to. It's not, it's, it's, it's God's will that all men be saved. But it's, it's God's will that you give thanks in all things. That's the will of God is that you give thanks in all things, you give thanks for all things. You know why? That's not saying that all things are good, because all things aren't good. But you can praise God in all things and for all things, because God, I belong to you, and regardless of what happens in this situation, you are going to be glorified. I am your instrument. I am your tool I am your vessel. I am your possession. And so, God, here I am. I praise you in this difficulty. I praise you for this difficulty because it's going to make me the man or the woman of God that you would have me be. Lord, you've got a lesson you want me to learn through all of this. And so, Lord, I'm going to give you thanks for it. Try that. If you say, I just, I just can't think of anything else, I can't concentrate on anything else, I am so bothered by this, I just can't, I just can't get through this, there's a simple solution. Thank God for it. Thank God. Try it. Try it. Amen. And see what God does. All those things be made for all men. I got to tell you, there are some men I don't want to pray for. There, there are some people I just don't want to pray for. There are some people that it just eats me sometimes to pray for them. And it's usually the ones that need prayer the most. And God convicts me of that and I always end up going, okay, God. Because there, there have been people in my life that have hurt, that have lied, they have said things that weren't true, uh, and they said things that were true. I mean, it, it's, and I still didn't appreciate it. 
Oh. But the convicting power of the Holy Spirit says, pray for those people. And that doesn't always help them, but guess who it helps? I'm going to raise my hand, because it helps me to pray for them. It helps me to pray for them. May those prayers for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. I force myself every morning. to pray. I mean, I don't force myself to pray. I, I, for, I, I make myself pray every morning for certain people in authority. I, I, and I know I need to do it. I know they need the prayers. And it's what God's Word tells us to do. For kings and for all that are in authority, whether I agree with them or not. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, I like that. I, 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 number one, it tells you that your prayers are going to have effect. You pray for these people so that we're going to Lead a quiet and peaceable life. Folks, I like peaceable life. I love the idea that I can stand here, open God's Word, and preach God's Word, and our doors aren't going to be knocked down. I love the thought that I am going to be able to go someplace today after church for lunch, and it's going to be peaceable, it's going to be quiet, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to take a nap this afternoon, and I'm not going to worry about the, somebody banging on the door unless I forgot and locked it before I let Faye in. Then I might have a bang on the door. But there is so... Pray for these people so that you would live a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty because prayer works. But you know what this also is? And we don't have enough time today to get into all the ramifications of this, but this really does need more time. This shows that a major dispensational change has occurred. Because what was the next prophesied events on the agenda? Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, turn with me. Way behind on my notes. Turn with me. Uh, to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. So the problem is I can't even read my own writing anymore. There, there's just too much Light on this is just throwing me off. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 34. What did our Lord Jesus say? Now we know that in Matthew 24 it talks about the fact that Christ says 
that during the tribulation is going to come is going to be such a time as of suffering and persecution like it's never happened before. He's quoting Daniel 12, 1. It says there's going to be a time of persecution. The tribulation is, which was next on the prophesied agenda, when Peter stood in Acts chapter 2 and said, this is that, what was going on there, this is that which the prophet Joel had indicated was going to happen. You read that, and that is persecution. That is the time of Jacob's trouble. But look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. That sounds anything like not peace. See, something had happened. Something had changed. What had changed, rather than God's wrath falling, it was God's grace that was falling. God raised up the chief of sinners as we talked about last week. But here, when he says, pray that you'll live peaceably and godly in this world, that shows that there had something drastically had changed. And that deserves a whole lot more time and attention. But I'm not going to get into what I want to get into here now. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That you're praying for all of these people. Look at verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? It's God's will, folks, that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I've heard a lot of people say, well, no, that word really means desire. I don't care if it means desire or His will. It's God's desire. If you want to go there, it's God's desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at Titus 2.11. Look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Hath appeared to all men. Look at 1 Timothy 4.10. This, I think this verse pretty much sums it up. And again, we're going to be here in the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a study on election, free will, predestination, and we're going to be going into all the different scriptures that talk about that doctrine and giving an answer from the scripture. But look at verse 10, 1 Timothy 4. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. 
He's the Savior of all men, but He's especially the Savior of those who believe and put their faith and trust in Christ. When Peter is writing to the scattered, those of the the dispersion, in 1 Peter, in 2 Peter, in 2 Peter, a bunch of them come and say, where is this coming? How come he's not here? You said he was going to come. Where is he? Where is he? And Peter said, God is not slack concerning his promise. Does some men count slackness? Why was Christ delaying his coming? He goes on to say, it's because God is not willing that any should perish. Therefore, there has been a change in the program. There is a delay in what was going to happen. And that delay is because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Peter tells them God is not slack. He's not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance, Jew and Gentile. That's what's causing God's delay. He says God is not willing that any should perish. He will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And people say, well, Paul tells the church in Ephesus that we're dead in our sins. And they'll say, and dead men can't believe. Have you ever noticed in Ephesians 2 it talks about how we are dead in our sins, and we are. And these same dead men walk. Can dead men walk? No. So for them to take, you're dead in your sins, therefore you're not capable of doing what God says you need to do in this present dispensation, and that's believe. Yet you can walk, you can breathe, you can talk, you can, you can sin. Dead men can't sin. You don't ever see any partying going on in a graveyard. I've never seen any. Not with the people that are buried there anyway. We are dead. We are separated from God because of our relationship with Adam. But we are also created in his image. When, When Adam was created, he had a body, he had a soul, he had a spirit. We're a, tri- we're, a, we're a triune, we're a trinity, just as God is a trinity. God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The whole universe is a trinity. Well, there's an aspect of that trinity that died the day Adam went crunch. We were spiritually separated from God. Our spirit died. But our soul didn't the seat of emotions, the soul can still believe, the soul can still read and understand, and the seat of your emotions can cause a person when they hear the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, when that individual hears the gospel, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit can move on that person, and they can realize, I'm a sinner, I am lost, 
I need a Savior. And they can read who that Savior is. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith can believe. And the moment they believe, God sanctifies, justifies, redeems, regenerates. Another scripture real quick and then we'll be, we'll be done. Look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians, we use this verse all the time, but boy, it's such a powerful verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That means we need to tell people that they can be reconnected to God. Verse 19, to wit, what is that ministry? What is that ministry of reconciliation? To wit, or namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Folks, what we need to understand is that the world has been reconciled unto God through Christ. I'm not saying God's going to save everybody, that everybody's going to, he can and he will, he would be willing to, but not everybody's going to be saved. But it's because man refuses at Christ the gift of salvation. As far from God's perspective, he has reconciled the world unto himself through the complete and finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. The offer of salvation is there. God in his love and his mercy offers salvation to whoever believes. But man says, no, no, we're not going to believe. So who's, is it God saying, oh, nope, you, yeah, you, nope, nope, not you, yeah, you, 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 ooh, sorry, not you. Is that God that does that? Not hardly, folks. God is saying, you, and you, and you, and you, and you all can be saved. You can all be saved by just believing by faith what my son in faithfulness did on Calvary's cross. You can be saved. You can be made a new creation. I've reconciled the world. You want to know how effective the blood of Christ is? The entire world can reconciled unto God. That's what the scripture says. But man still continues to say, we will not have this man to reign over us. Whose fault is that? But if you're in the body of Christ, if by faith you have trusted Christ, you are part of what God elected to use from before the foundation of the world to glorify himself. And that's the church, the body of Christ. That's what God is, just as God elected Israel, it's a corporate election. What God elected to use to bring his purpose and his plans about was Israel, and he's still going to do that. But they've been temporarily blinded, set aside, and God now is working through the church 
the body of Christ and you have been chosen in Him. That's where the election is, in Him. He didn't elect you to be saved and not that other person to be saved. It's a corporate election. And then you're chosen. He puts you where He wants you. He chooses you for service. What a wonderful God we have. And the next verse, I wanted to get through that one. Back to 1 Timothy 1 real quick. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, that just says it all, doesn't it? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's no other mediators. There's no, there, you can't go to Mary, you can't go to saints, you can't go to your uncle, you can't go to anybody. There's only one mediator between God and man. If somebody tells you there are other mediators, there are other ways to get around Christ, to get to God the Father, you need to understand that they do not have your best interest in mind. They may think they do, but what they're telling you is contrary to Scripture. Can it get any clearer than God's desires that all men be saved? Isn't it funny how He desires all men be saved, but He's only going to choose a few? He's only going to regenerate a few? And the next part is, there's only one mediator, and that's Christ. Verse 6, and we'll be done. Who gave himself a ransom for the elect. Is that what it says? Who gave himself a ransom for the elect. Is that what it says? Gave himself a ransom for all. Folks, Christ died for all men. If that's not true, we might as well stop praying for our loved ones, our family members. Because if they're elected, hey, God's going to save them. If they're not elected, but I'm telling you, we don't stop praying for them. Because as long as there's breath of life, the Holy Spirit is convicting. The Word of God is powerful. And we keep sharing that truth with them. Watering, planting, expecting God to give the increase. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we praise your name that you are such a gracious, loving, merciful God. Father, I'm thankful this morning that your word goes out whosoever will. Father, we believe that. That the door of salvation is open. That you love us. And you desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We thank you for that. And Father, may we share the gospel. 
May we believe that enough to share the truth of your word. May we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And may we boldly proclaim it. Now, Father, help us to pray for all men, especially those in authority over us. Father, you know they need it. And fathers, we pray, we pray for revival, we pray for an awakening. We pray for a change to occur that glorifies your name. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory. For it's in that name that every knee is going to bow to, that every tongue is going to confess to. For your glory, God. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen.